Welcome to the Literacy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gabriel. This is the first episode in our first series, which is focused on doing literacy interventions online. And to start, I am really excited to welcome someone who actually has almost a decade of experience designing and delivering reading interventions online. So many of us are working to figure this out for the first time. And when we started planning this podcast, I immediately thought of Victoria because I knew she would have no less than a million ideas and insights for us. If ideas are gems, then you are about to join me for breakfast at Tiffany's, except at Victoria's. I'm so excited that she said yes to recording this podcast with me and so excited to share our conversation with you. So here is Victoria Whaley. Victoria, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, I have been teaching special needs students since 2003. I taught bilingual special education in Houston, Texas for five years in elementary resource rooms. Mm -hmm. I then did a master's degree in special education at Vanderbilt with an emphasis in learning disability and literacy intervention, and then came to Connecticut and taught for a couple years in public schools, then did some community organizing. While I was doing community organizing, I started delivering online therapy to students with reading difficulty. I ended up doing that full time for several years, mm-hmm. and even now I'm I'm now in my fourth year of PhD at UConn, and I still have two students that I have not graduated. And when they finish their program, I'm going to stop so I can focus on my <laughs> dissertation. But I still have a couple of kids I see every week that I'm teaching how to read. Awesome, awesome. So you already answered this a little bit, but what's your experience with online instruction and intervention? And then we developed additional content Mm -hmm. Um, and we sort of fleshed it out because a lot of our early customers and clients were homeschool families and we wanted it to be a full word reading curriculum. We were very clear Mm -hmm. that our focus was not so much on comprehension Mm -hmm. and that families would need to supplement that aspect of the instruction, Mm -hmm. but We wanted a family that was providing all of their child's word reading instruction at home to have sufficient content. The kids that have that need generally need a lot more language exposure than we can give them even in a typical school day. Mm -hmm. So there's real benefit in having parents, having parents, having caregivers, having families understand how they can support their their children's comprehension, like what kinds of questions to ask, the value of listening to text, the value, the difference between what their kids will get from reading books versus watching a movie. Um, Mm. And so those are always conversations that I think are important to have with families to help them understand how to let their kids access that language, especially if it's not language that they're able to access through independent eye reading. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've been really encouraged by how many, like this huge explosion of read-alouds online with like celebrities and authors that make them really interesting and engaging and they're kind of short, which is great. Um, Because I think otherwise, we would have to have even more conversations, and I'm glad you're reminding us about this, about how uh, television and movies aren't as rich a source of vocabulary exposure as text is. And Audible is free now for kids, so. That's amazing, (laughs) yes. Lots and lots of ways to be listening to text and also to get a break from screen time because not only is instruction online, but also karate and flute lessons and ballet and everything is in front of a screen of one sort or another. Uh, in addition to whatever kids wanted to be doing, like communicating with friends or you know, surfing around depending on their age. So I love the idea that you're bringing us back to listening to 
text in various forms. I mean, especially with free resources like Audible and all of these online read-alouds, that's yeah. really valuable. That's time well spent, especially mm -hmm. if you're talking it through. Yeah, I think um, I've been uh, talking a lot about kids need to hear really strong reading modeled all the way through high school and into college as well. And one of the ways that that has sometimes backfired is I've seen uh, high school teachers use huge chunks of their period to press play on a text and let kids follow along. And I think that um, like if we were going to rank these things, the most important thing you can do is interact around reading text. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether kids wrote it or are reading it. Um, and then the second most important thing that you could do um, is read it to them. But in this online environment, uh, there are so many options for teachers to, to point kids toward right now that what they are doing probably needs to be more focused on the interaction. Um, not because the other piece isn't really important for their reading diet, but because they can get it in all these other ways. And if you're only going to spend five minutes or 10 minutes with an individual student reading to them, seems like the least uh, the the lowest thing on your priority list at the moment, and uh, this moment being like distance mm -hmm. learning, no school happening. Um, right. Whereas I think it certainly has a place uh, in classroom on a regular basis for older kids when there are classrooms that people are in on a regular basis <laughs> as older kids. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. One of one of the things that I've thought about that helped me as a reader was like reading as a family. And that was like one of the activities that, that we would do is that um, we, we did split it up. My sister and I had different book interests than my brother. And mm -hmm. so like we would read with our parents and we'd talk through the books that we were reading. And that really is, whether it's, whether it's an adult reading with a kid, it really is. I mean, and I think especially as, you know, kids know that we're nervous and kids mm -hmm. themselves are nervous. It's a real opportunity to build some bonding in and build some closeness in to share yeah. to share books and to have to have a kind of context where we're not talking about the news, we're not talking about what's happening, we're talking about this story, this mm -hmm. really interesting story. Mm -hmm. And we're both going to discover this together. And that's um, when I did my community organization work, we talked about reading with babies as a way to help them bond with their families. And I think our older kids need that now too. Like they just, that kind of sense of safety and security can come from having that real shared time. And it can also have this added academic benefit. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, tell me about the sort of technological side of delivering intervention online. Um, would you name a few tools that you've had experiences with and would you share something that you learned maybe by trial and error that you can maybe give us a shortcut to that piece of knowledge since you have so much experience doing this already? So I, I used three different web sharing platforms over the years. I used Adobe Meeting first, and mm -hmm. I used then I used WebEx, and then I switched to Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, the most important thing I found is making sure that the person on the other end knows how to connect to it. Like yeah. that's, that's your very, very first, most basic thing. Yep. It's a good idea to set that up with parents before the kids sitting there, because if, there's, if you have to make a phone call, if you have to have a conversation, it's better to not get the kid bored, distracted, frustrated while that happens. You want the right. tech to be up and running. I've actually used Google meetings as well in, in certain mm -hmm. situations. Um, I didn't like Google as well. I liked the other products better because they had the ability to write on the screen and to let the student write on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, and for there are a few different situations where that can be really helpful, um, where you and the student can write on the screen. For instance, if there's a particular word that a student needs to reread, if there's a particular idea that you want to highlight or underline to come back to, um, there, 
and even for spelling activities, letting the student write on the screen can be very useful. Um, also, kids find little kids find that engaging. I can't speak. Most of my students tended to be pretty engaged in line up to online up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another thing to be aware of. You can't always tell when kids are getting restless when yeah. you're engaging with them online. Yeah. And so if you so that's one of the things it's very easy when the kid's not right in front of you to get caught up in the content you're delivering and mm -hmm. not notice that the kid is off in space, not even paying attention. So you need to be very aware of how frequently you're soliciting responses, what types of responses you're soliciting, when the kid's eyes are wandering, when they're getting a little restless and have mm -hmm. strategies and ways to kind of re-engage them. That's such a good point. Like I think I'm doing it right now. We're on Zoom. Not, nobody will know that because we're doing a podcast, doing it as a podcast. Uh, I tend not to hold eye contact online, partly because mm -hmm. holding eye contact means looking away from the camera. And so mm -hmm. it's a little bit hard to know because there isn't that immediate sort of feedback thing or it looks funny. You're always looking down a little bit. Um, I tend to look at other things and, uh, and I, that's, that's a good one to point out. Thank you for that. Most of the time when I've delivered instruction, it's been via screen share. So I'll have my content either in PowerPoint slides. Yep. I've actually, for, for some, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm not above scanning programs that I own and using cool. that content via screen share. So, oh. it, so like there yeah. are some particular programs that I really like and I've done this, I've used, a de um, I call it my desk camera. Um, like a document camera as well mm -hmm. to like share books with students. Yep. And so if you can set it up via screen share, you can still have the student's face and your face on the screen as well as the content that you're looking at together all at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and so that means if the student is looking at the word, they're not looking at the camera and they're not looking at me. What right. I want to make sure also is that they're not looking at their dog, that they're not <laughs> looking out the window, that they're not switching back and especially as the kids get older, they're not switching to a different window that might be more interesting or engaging than your reading lesson is. Yeah. So those are, as far as there's a lot of things that can distract a child and mm -hmm. since you're not in the same room as the kid, you really don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's something to really be aware of. Um, in terms of preparing content, and mm -hmm. this is more difficult to control if you scan a curriculum, mm -hmm. like you need to be aware of how many items you're presenting on the screen at once. You don't know how large a student's monitor is. Mm -hmm. And so when you're sharing something with a student, you don't know how big they're seeing it, how difficult right. it may be to read. Mm -hmm. So you want to get as crisp an image as possible. It is ideal if you have access to something that is already in its digital format that's the best way to do it so um you can adjust the size as needed mm -hmm. and that's that way you're sure you have a really crisp image it's harder to control that if you're using a camera to share materials you have live mm -hmm. if you have the possibility of even typing something in and i'm not trying to give anybody more work by saying that yeah. but it's it, it just it, it makes it makes a difference especially you would never want the font to be the cognitive downfall of the kid. Like it's just right. not clear enough. It's a little too fuzzy. They've yeah. got enough that they're dealing with without making that a problem. You want to, you want to control for that as much as possible. Right. Good one. Thank you. Um, you said a little bit about parents helping with setup. How else do you think that parents can be involved or should be involved or what some, um, what are some considerations for uh, caregivers when it comes to intervention online? My students that have made the most growth and been the most successful, and this is again with students who are receiving online as their primary source of instruction by design, mm -hmm. we insist that parents stay in the room. Um, 
when I've had parents that can't stay in the room, the kids don't progress as much. And there's a couple of things I've noticed. First of all, it takes about a month, maybe six weekly, six weeks of weekly sessions before the parent sounds like me. Mm -hmm. They're using the same language I use in correcting errors. They're mm -hmm. using the same cues I use for word reading, for sentences. They're aware of which of these words were words that we've practiced sounding out, which of these words are words that we haven't practiced sounding out. So you need mm -hmm. to memorize this word. What are my cues when I'm reading through a sentence? How do I know what fluent, fluent reading sounds like. Yeah. I then usually would set up when I have those meetings, I keep it at sort of a therapeutic hour so that I have time at the end to talk to the parent about the content. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of ways that we teach reading that parents and caregivers did not learn to read in that way. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're talking about like explicit word reading interventions. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn to read that way. Mm -hmm. Even most kids don't learn to read that way. That's something that's specific to kids who are struggling word readers. Mm -hmm. And some of the some of the ways that we frame our comprehension instruction, the types of questions that we ask students. Mm -hmm. Parents don't always know what to make of those questions or what the expectation is around it right. if they haven't participated in the session. So whenever possible, invite parents to sit in. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially at this point where the kids will eventually return to school, this will pay off dividends by mm -hmm. making the parents more expert in reading and reading instruction, mm -hmm. because that's knowledge that they'll take with them beyond this time of distance learning mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and will help them to support, support the children in their lives for, for years to come. Mm -hmm. um, Reminds me they really help with the attention piece because yeah. parent, especially if you talk to them about that in advance, like, if your kid needs, if the kid needs a break, let me know because mm -hmm. let's, let's redirect and reinforce you're in the same room and play, like pay attention to what the kid's paying attention to because I can't always tell. And if parents are aware of that, they're, they, they become your partners in the process. And any, like anytime your parents become the partners in the process, it's way more effective than if it's just a teacher student thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It reminds me a lot of, um, policies that some people have around private music lessons that <clears throat> the expectation is there's one lesson and then a week of practice um, and because of that the parent in some cases in some studios the parent with young children is supposed to stay there so that they can be a reinforcer and also so that they can be something of an enforcer during the session to make sure that this is your one chance for instruction for the whole week so let's make mm -hmm. sure that you're really present for it um, it seems like a lot of these strategies are things that we know from other, other pieces of our life where instruction has to be like much more intense because it's supposed to be time release. Um, the other, uh, honestly, as we were talking and people who know my research are gonna laugh about this, but the other thing this reminds me of is like a sermon um, that you get it once a week and it's supposed to like reoccur to you throughout the week. And when it doesn't, mm -hmm. you join a reading group for small group practice <laughs> and you sometimes come back for an extra lesson, right? So. <laughs> We kind of know these patterns of interaction and these patterns of growth and development for mm -hmm. other things that happened outside of school and we're having to borrow from them. But um, mm -hmm. as my Taekwondo instructor said, we know all of the little parts, we're just recombining them in a very new way. And that's been a, been a helpful thing for me thinking about how everything is familiar and yet strange because we're doing all the things we know, but in a completely different combination. And it gives us, it gives us this opportunity, like, and I think we're going to touch on this in a, in a little bit, this one-to-one -one versus small group that a lot of times our, our groups, our intervention groups in school, and when we do them in person, are small groups. And I don't know that that would be as effective. I don't know that it could be effective in online instruction, yeah. which means in terms of the actual number, amount of time you have to spend with your students, you may not have as much time face-to-face -face with the students. But if you have a caregiver 
who has sat in on the lesson, who knows how to reinforce, you can provide them content that mm -hmm. they're then able to teach more effectively. And especially if you can block off a little time, because you could probably teach adults how to teach in small group more easily than teaching kids how to read in small groups. So if you, find <laughs> a parent, if you can find a parent conference time to say, hey, this is what your out of lesson practice is going to look like this week. Let's kind of go through it mm -hmm. and make sure that you that you're aware and we're going to go over these things in our lesson and this is how we can work together to make your child's instruction more effective nice. um, and and it's a big ask and i i appreciate that that all of us are having to adjust right now and some of these caregivers are working from home as well mm -hmm. and are hard pressed to find that time to deliver instruction mm -hmm. and so it may not work but if it can work it's a way to, to know to, to continue to provide kids the instruction that they need Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I really like the idea of um, if you are a teacher trying to decide how you divide your time across kids in your class in terms of face-to-face -face online, that sounded wrong face-to-face -face online, but you know what I mean in terms of connecting. Synchronous. Synchronously, thank you. Synchronously <laughs> connecting with them online. Um, that if you have the possibility of connecting with a caregiver once every two weeks or once a month or something, depending on how long this goes, that um, some of that time might be really well spent um, conferring with kids, connecting with them, letting them know that you still exist and care about them is probably the first priority. But um, another kind of on the list of priorities might be directly connecting with parents uh, who are in some cases juggling multiple schedules of things that multiple kids should be doing for school and trying to figure out what to prioritize themselves. So hearing from you directly might be a um, might be a good thing. I think the parent piece I just said definitely like yeah. the power the power of having and again like the first couple times it happened it astounded me. I'm like oh my gosh she's using the exact same words <laughs> I've been using the past couple of weeks. She sounds just like me. I haven't just I'm not just I'm not just helping develop a reader I'm developing a reading teacher mm -hmm. and like having especially because in my early days as an online educator most of my families were homeschoolers mm -hmm. to have them then say I'm using this with my other kids mm -hmm. I know more now about I'm a better reading teacher because I've sat in on sessions with you these families are really hungry for this knowledge they want to know and they want to understand what's happening with their with their kids learning and so mm -hmm. care, like care, caregivers are are much more interested than we might give them credit for in like mm -hmm. what I would consider the wonky details of, of learning and reading. And so yeah. it's worth, I mean, you have to adjust for, for individuals. Not everybody's going to be that interested, but really like you're investing in the ongoing support of this learner when you, when you help their caregiver understand reading and how reading works. Nice. That's really nicely said. It makes me think that like now that, we're de-schooling society in some ways, like we don't have the typical routines and structures of getting up every morning and going to school and spending a certain number of hours. We also are losing the sense of like, you are a first grade teacher because at this year especially, what is first grade and how far does it go and what is included? But when you were talking, I just kept thinking like, this is what a reading educator does. They educate people about reading, not just the student, but the people around them um, so that literacy development can happen kind of all the time. And so mm -hmm. it's partly this time release sort of thing um, where you're delivering small pieces of instruction that are supposed to last uh, instead of being an everyday thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And also thinking about 
uh, that in a much more holistic way, which is a little bit backwards. Like we're thinking about small pieces that last a long time, seems like we're focusing on a part, but actually we're sort of trying to build the world around those pieces that lets them grow. So that's kind of cool. Um, as you look at some of the changes and scenarios that you've heard about over the last couple of weeks in K-12 settings, um, what's, what's on your mind in terms of a concern or something that you wonder as somebody that has a lot of experience in this uh, domain? Um, I think my greatest concern actually was something that you said earlier about let's get the tier one or let's get the basic reading instruction in place first and then let's deal with interventions. And the reason that that concerns me is that our kids that need the interventions are the ones that are most likely to fall behind and not be able to catch up from being out of school for a few months. Yeah. Our kids that are more typically developing readers, mm -hmm. if they're reading with their families, if they're doing any kind of reading stuff at home, there's a good chance that they'll be able to make up that time just in typical school instruction. But our struggling learners are the ones that are are on the bad end of the Matthew effect to to get yep. into the like the the rich get richer the poor get poorer and they get especially poor they're the ones that lose their learning over the summer and don't make it back for six months of the school year and so this time for them mm -hmm. is has such potential to to set them behind mm -hmm. whereas and so I would really, I would really encourage, I guess, people to look at your most struggling learners and how we're able to meet their needs mm -hmm. in this time. And I understand like the, the urge to get the bulk of the students needs met first, mm -hmm. but my experience has been that for, sure. and, but those are the kids that are most likely to not recover from this, <laughs> not to be too fatalistic. Yep. Um, if I were to triage, I'd say, let's get at those kids first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's an important message that um, there's a lot of potential for that message to get lost. So I'm glad that you are, are sharing it. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You can find our guest contact information by navigating from our website, reading.education.ucon.edu and clicking on podcast. We'll also have a transcript of this conversation and links to some of the tools and ideas mentioned here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, and check back here next week for a new series of podcasts from your Yukon Literacy Fellows. Thanks for listening.